Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built It, the podcast that helps small business owners create engaging content that drives sales. Each week, I talk about how you can build good content faster to increase revenue and establish yourself as an authority. I'm your host, Joe Casabona. Now let's get to it. We need to destigmatize lending money to friends and family. That's one of the first things Brian Bristol said to me in today's interview. See, Brian is the co-founder of Pigeon Loans, a place where anyone can set up a private loan backed with tracking, interest, and a legally binding agreement. And this ethos is as interesting as the approach Pigeon Loans takes to their content strategy. Show people that everyone has a story about lending or borrowing money. So today we talk about Pigeon Loans, their content strategy, and the important role that their podcast, The Chirp, plays in destigmatizing money lending. Brian even gets me to tell a couple of stories about how I've lent money. In Build Something More, we talk about the incredible importance of talking to customers to make your products and services better. And I've got to say, I was really shocked by this episode. I didn't really know what to expect going in. I thought we were going to talk about money lending and and why they started a podcast. But we ended up talking about money lending and starting a podcast as well as philosophy and technology. And it was just an all around fantastic conversation. Brian uh, seems like a really genuine guy and I'm really excited. Pigeon Loans is maybe the first online based loan service that I don't think is some sort of scam because of everything they set up as far as accountability goes. But we'll talk about all of that in the episode, which is, by the way, brought to you by Hrefs and Nexus. And you can find out about them as well as get all of the show notes over at howibuilt.it slash 259. But for now, let's get into the intro and then the interview. Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built It, the podcast that helps small business owners create engaging content that drives sales. Each week, I talk about how you can build good content faster to increase revenue and establish yourself as an authority. I'm your host, Joe Casabona. Now let's get to it. Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built It, the podcast that helps small business owners create engaging content drive sales. Each week, I talk about how you can build good content faster to increase revenue and establish yourself as an authority. I'm your host, Joe Casabona. Now let's get to it. Brian, how are you today? I'm doing good. Can't complain. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to uh, chat with you about kind of your content strategy, um, the goal for how I built it in 2022 is to help small business owners and creators create more easily and find new revenue streams uh, through content. Um, And from what I can see, the Chirp podcast uh, can fit into this, right? Because you're not, it doesn't seem like you're selling sponsorships on it. It's really more about telling uh, stories that help reinforce your brand. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's correct. So every time someone comes in the chirp, and I'll give kind of listeners an overview of what the chirp is, it's essentially this environment that we've created, an audio format in which everyday people can come on to our platform and tell stories about 
loans or finance or any type of relationship trouble in which you've had to make a transaction with someone you know and trust and it's either gone wrong or it's gone well or you just had a cool story to tell about it. So we've been doing that for some time now. A lot of the stories are to kind of reinforce this mantra that it's okay to help people financially within your relationships. Like there's this weird stigma, especially in American culture, where you kind of frown upon it. People tell you, no, don't give your friend $200 because they need to eat tomorrow. Like that doesn't make any sense, especially if we're all humans, we're all trying to live this race that is life. We're trying to pretty much break down that stereotype and say, look, this is something that can be positive for your communities. This is something that can be positive for your relationships. And we're trying to put those stories in the forefront of people's minds. I love that. And and so uh, just to um, give a little bit of extra background, right? Pigeon Loans is exactly that sort of platform, right? Where uh, if if uh, one of my brothers needed money, uh, I can send it to them through Pigeon Loans. Is that right? Yep, correct. Awesome. And I like what you said. There's a weird stigma, right? Um, when I was in college, uh, I freelanced all through college. Uh, so I, I um, had more money than the average college student, which is not a lot of money, but it's it's more than the average college <laughs> student, which is like a negative bank account, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> and I had a friend who who needed, she had double pneumonia and she needed medicine and she didn't have insurance. And so- oh, wow. um, I I think I lent her like three hundred bucks I think to to pay for the medicine, um, mm. and and you know I was I was one month two months went by several months and I was like a little bit nervous after a few months that I wasn't going to get this money back but I yeah. before it came to a head she she paid me back um, and I wondered what I was all worked up about right uh, she was my friend and I should have trusted that she paid me back. So I think you're right. There's a a weird stigma about lending money to friends, about doing business with friends and family, right? That's always like a common, never, you know, never, uh, never do business, never let your friend hire you or whatever, because it could strain the relationship. But, um, but it sounds like the chirp tells, tells stories to kind of help destigmatize that. Yeah, exactly. We're basically, picking at this massive wall piece by piece, story by story. So whether they be celebrities or just your neighbor across the street or doctors or lawyers or anyone of that sort, they all have a story. We've heard countless stories just in building this company alone. So being able to document them and actually put them in one place and tell people, look, you're not the only one struggling with this weird problem that no one talks about. Everyone is struggling with it. I think that's a very new and innovative space for us and we're excited to continue to grow it. Yeah, that's that's also a really good point, right? I'm a, I'm 36, right? So my parents are, I guess, boom, are they boomers? I guess my parents are boomers. Um, and we always kind of grew up, don't talk about money, don't talk about money problems. Um, and I, again, I think that you think you're struggling and then especially with, like influencer marketing and Instagram and um, yeah. you, it feels like you're the only one struggling, right? But as we record this, we're about a week out from our third kid being born. I'm self-employed. Um, my wife is a nurse, but she's going on leave soon and I am freaking out about money. Um, yeah. We have savings, but I, this is, it's something that I learned along the way. I think I talked about this on, on your podcast. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, um, it's just, I, I don't really have a question here. I just think it's it's really good to to reinforce this. Um this yeah, this definitely. yeah. 
Um, yeah. No. So, <laughs> sorry, what, what were you going to say? <laughs> no, I was going to say, yeah. I, I, it's shocking to me that like it hasn't happened before. But at the same time, like other cultures around the world are doing this and they're basically not talking about it in the forefront, but within their circles, they're talking about it. So being able to have that space now, especially in the United States of America, I think is something that will be refreshing to people. They'll take a step back and think the same way you just did and say, look, wow, we really aren't talking about this. Wow, people are struggling. Instagram isn't reality. Like These are things that we need to discuss so that you can comfortably go about your life and support each other while you're doing that. Yeah, that that's, I think that's something that, you, you know, you talk about other countries, other countries, other cultures do this kind of within their community. Uh, I think community is something that's making a bit of a comeback, right? Uh, it was like kind of a buzzword uh, throughout 2020 and 2021 because people were more isolated. So they formed these online communities. But, um, you know, we had, we were at, uh, my my wife and I went on one of the few dates that we were able to go on over the last two years, uh, <laughs> just having small children and, and then a pandemic. Um, yeah. And it was about an hour away and our babysitter texted us that our ceiling started to leak. And oh, wow. um, my wife said, you know, uh, she didn't know what to do. So uh, Aaron said, why don't we ask our neighbor to like come over and, and like shut off the water because she didn't know how to do it. And I'm like, isn't it kind of weird like asking our neighbor to do something? And then I'm like, why do I think that's weird? Like, yeah. this is just something that people would do even 20 mm. years ago, right? Do you have yeah. a, a cup of milk or a stick of butter or whatever? Yeah. Um, but like our ceiling was literally leaking and I was like, isn't it weird to like bother our neighbor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, man, it definitely is weird. Um, so, so let me ask you, um, how did you come up with the idea for, for pigeon loans? Um, we, we talked about this de-stigmatizing and, and um, I guess wrapped in that question is how is it different from something like GoFundMe? Yeah. So Pigeon Loans as a whole actually came about during the earlier days of the pandemic. Um, there was a situation in which everyone was losing their job. Everyone was trying to figure out how to get money. Stock market was crashing. Pigs were flying from the skies. <laughs> like it was just yeah. calamity, right? Yeah. But in that same scenario, a lot of people were affected financially. And my family was someone who was actually affected as well. It, it hit me in the same way it hit everyone else. So when I was talking to a family member of mine, just during that time, they kind of approached me with that conversation where it's like, hey, look, I need a couple bucks to make it through whatever this is going on. I don't know if I can make it. If I can't, I need to be able to sustain my current life or do what I need to get done. So they came to me with that ask. And fortunately enough, I'm in the tech industry and being a software engineer does have some income to it. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm starting my new career. I got some cash on the side. I'll be able to help you out. How much do you need? But then when I asked the how much do you need question, the number was like shocking. I was like, oh, well, wow. <laughs> let me let me figure this out, right? Like I'm still new, 24 years old, trying to start my own career. And what I said was, hey, look, let's just make a loan. Let's get this money back to me at some point. I don't care when, I, hopefully within the year or something, but we know this pandemic's helping. I mean, it's hurting everything. So let's actually do something together that can help you, right? So what I did is I went online 
I tried to find a service or an app or some type of website that I could just quickly spin up alone and keep track of that over time. And in searching Google and searching Yahoo and searching the App Store, iOS, nothing. Nothing really popped up that was robust. Nothing that popped up that said, hey, I want to create documentation. Hey, I want to make payments online. Hey, I want to track everything over time. Hey, I want to remind this person without texting them being like, yo, where's my money? So all of that was something that I was missing and I thought would be an easy solution that someone would have invented already. And what ended up happening was I took this kind of thought, sat down and mediated on it and kind of tried to do some research and figure out how many people are struggling with the same problem. Like, is it just me? Am I the only one who wants to make loans with their friends or is like everyone doing this? Did some research and found out that in the United States alone, there's $200 billion moved every single year as loans between friends, family, and loved ones. And then when we wow. think about the world at large, there's a trillion dollars moved around the world as loans between friends, family, and loved ones. There's a lot of money moving in this fashion that no one talks about, no one documents, and we all just kind of say, hey, hopefully it all goes well. So with that being said, I ended up creating like the first version of Pigeon Loans and put it out there. And we've been working on it ever since. Wow, that's that's incredible, and uh, you know it's it's so funny. Maybe it didn't exist because of the stigma, um, but like you know, when we talk about family uh, needing money, right? I've always I've always taken a position of, well, if I'm going to lend my brothers money or lend my parents money, I'm not going to expect to get that paid back. But uh, they have never asked for uh, something that would. Uh, seriously dent my savings, right? I mean, I mm. I can count on one hand the amount of times I've lent um, my family specifically money, um, and but on on the other hand, right, it's probably something that friends and family want to do when they can, because I think that um, you know you have to kind of go uh, hat held in hand sometimes when you need to borrow money, um, and and. It's not a uh, keeping track of uh, like it's not a you're not scoring points against anybody, but it's you want to you want to write you want to write the ship and show that this loan was done in good faith and and you want to keep that trust, I guess. Yeah, and I agree. I was kind of weird in the scenario that I wanted to get paid back. We've been doing this for like yeah. a year and a half now. We've done a lot of statistics. We talked to all of our customers. We, there's ten thousand users on our platform now, and wow. what we found out is. Over the course of those 10,000 people, 90% of them in terms of who are lending money have said, hey, look, we want to use your platform not because we want to get paid back, not because we want to track things in spreadsheet, not because of reminders. We just want an easy way to help someone out without it being really awkward and uncomfortable. And mm. I was like, whoa, that's super interesting. So we've been really harking on that ethos, being able to provide people resources to help each other out when those scenarios come about and it's just icing on the top when you have the ability to get paid back or the, the ability to use a contract, the ability to do any of the other stuff. Yeah, that's super interesting. And maybe in build something more, we could talk a little bit more about user and customer research, because I think that's something I certainly don't do enough. I don't think a lot of small business owners and freelancers do enough. So uh, maybe if you're up for that, uh, we could chat about that and, and build something more. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, if you are not a member, you can sign up over at howibuilt.it slash 259. It's just 50 bucks a year. Um, that's less than five bucks a month. Um, so 
I, I asked, you kind of answered this without explicitly answering it, but how is it different from like GoFundMe? GoFundMe is just people asking for money, right? There's no, yeah. um, there's no expectation that that money is going to get paid back. Yeah. So the primary difference is GoFundMe is a lot of people to one cause. For Pigeon Loans, it's one to one. So if I need a loan, I'm going to go ask another person, whether it be my brother or sister or whatever. So that's the primary difference in terms of the mechanism itself. But for Pigeon Loans, everything on our platform is actually legally binding. Like You could create a contract just as strong as a promissory note from a bank. So Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Barclays, doesn't matter. You as an individual now have every power in your right to go through the same recourse that the institutions can. So for Pigeon Loans, we can work amongst friends or family member. Most people don't end up suing their friends or family member. But for even just people you met, like a colleague or someone Mm -hmm. you trust and you're a business partner, you can come onto our platform, make a loan, and be very confident that at any point in time, if this goes completely sour, I've got the recourse and resources to get what I need to get done. Yeah. Wow. That's super interesting. Right. So like if, if, for example, let's say my, uh, my wife's uncle wanted to give me a business loan, right? We didn't want to go through a bank and all that. He just wanted to give me a business loan. Uh, this would be a way where he would be protected and I would feel a lot better about him being protected. Yep. Exactly. And it works both ways. So like, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. That's, no. I was just agreeing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm saying it, it works both ways because what ends up happening is you as the lender want to help someone out. But then as the borrower, if you need it for a big reason, like you said, starting a business, you need ammo, evidence to be like, I'm serious. This is something that I really want to do and I'll get it right. back to you. So it works backwards. People use pigeon loans and they're like, hey, look, I know I asked for $5,000. I'm dead serious. I'm going to pay this back. Here's this platform we can start it on. I'll give it back to you in the next 12 months. Yeah. Wow. What a, that's such a, a great point, right? It's not just like, I have a ridiculous idea. Just give me money and I might blow it, right? <laughs> which is which is like, if you think about it, that's kind of Kickstarter, right? I've mm-hmm. backed a lot of things on Kickstarter, usually from entities I already know, like, and trust. <laughs> um, yeah. Like probably entities that don't really need Kickstarter, but they used it to to fund this new idea and, and have a little bit more security. But like I've heard horror stories of of Kickstarter. There's there's no legal protection, right? There's like something in the terms of service, but you know, if if they've spent the money, they've spent it. Unless yeah, somebody exactly. wants to bring a cash act, uh, a class action lawsuit. So this is in a lot of ways, gosh, the more I'm like hearing about this, the more I like it, right? Um, it's <laughs> it's a way for for both the lender and the borrower to be like, hey, this is this is real. This is not just some fly by night thing. Um, yeah, exactly. something that something that made me a little bit sour on GoFundMe is because there are and this is there are legitimate needs for people on GoFundMe and i again on your on your podcast i talked about how um especially around the holidays if i see you know somebody who's struggling and they post like their kids amazon wish list i'll buy gifts off of that or if if yeah. somebody you know but i've i've also seen like people asking for money because um you know they decided like not to get that renters insurance and then something happened, right? Like that's not for nothing, but like, you know, not a kid either. Like, you know, people mm-hmm. who are older than me who, are, who don't have renter's insurance, guys, renter's insurance is like a, like a $50 a year. It's like, it's basically free 
on your car insurance. Like, just get it. Um, and then I've also seen people who are like, you know, oh, we were like really struggling and want to take a family vacation. I'm like, I'm not going to give you, I want to take a family vacation. I'm not going to give you money for your family vacation. Um, and then there's, again, there's no accountability, right? So I don't know what they're going to use that money for if I give it to them. So um, yeah, that's true. I just think I thank you for letting me get on my soapbox there. So uh, <laughs> you you mentioned that you are a software engineer. Um, yeah. So I am also a software engineer. I have my master's in software engineering. Um, what's your weapon of choice for programming? So Python. I speak nice. fluent Python. At this point, I've picked up twelve or thirteen programming languages, but I like wow. the whole stack. So Pigeon Loans, as you see out there. Probably 90% of it I've built. And then I had a bunch of UI UX designers make it pretty and clean and functional. But I like Python a lot, man. It's super easy to read. And yeah. I don't have to think about too many compilation things. I know this is going to be kind of over the head of some listeners. But like how to basically keep memory and make sure that my pointers are a certain way. I, I don't like doing that. So Python yeah. is the way to go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing I liked about Python, right, is that it for the Python forces you to format and tab the right way, right? So, yeah, is that yeah, yeah, right? So it's not just like a hot mess of like missing semicolons or whatever. I'm PHP mostly, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. so. Um, but I did. I taught a, uh, I taught a health informatics class where I had to teach Python mm-hmm. to basically people in the health field, which was like its own yeah. other very hard thing. Um, so I got to, I got to learn and, and play with Python then. Uh, so that's, that's really cool though. So, um, yeah. gosh, I love where the idea came from. I love that, uh, it, you, you decided to like take this ball and run with it. Um, when, when you say everything's legally binding, uh, did you like consult lawyers uh and and you have like uh, an agreement in place yeah so that was the first question we asked ourselves so it was me and my co-founder and we're sitting here being like huh this is a cool idea we might be able to do something with this and then we're like wait is this legal is this the reason no one has really done this before yeah so we like scoured every legal and law connection we had ended up finding lawyer family friends that kind of said, hey, look, this is interesting. You could go about creating this business as long as Pigeon Loans doesn't take a part in the loan itself. Ah, gotcha. Because then you're essentially a bank. Yeah. So for us, any loan on our platform, we're like the big brother. We provide Mm -hmm. you the resources. You come to our platform. You agree on how big the loan is. So like a couple thousand dollars. You agree on the term length, which is like 10 months. And then you agree on the interest rate because you have to set an interest rate so that you don't comply with gift taxes and stuff like that. So gotcha. with all that being said, Pigeon Loans gives you these resources. We vetted the contracts on our platform. We vetted the contracts on our platform as promissory notes. And every promissory note is this unsecured loan between you and the individual you agree with. So that way... Every time you have a disagreement or you don't necessarily know where your money's coming back from, you know it's not like tied to your house or your car or whatever. Right. And for us, we've gone through numerous processes with lawyers. We have a whole law team and everything to figure out like wow. what are the avenues we need to understand. And we've now put out a contract that we're pretty confident in 
that can work in the United States of America. And in the future, we'll try to expand to other countries and talk to their lawyers as well so that we have that backing. This episode is brought to you by Store Builder from Nexus. Look, when it comes to setting up an e-commerce site, you have a choice between an easy but limited platform or you have an open platform with limitless possibilities, which requires limitless time to learn and manage. Until now. Store Builder is e-commerce made easy for everybody. Whether you're just getting started or you're an e-commerce expert, Store Builder by Nexus saves you time and delivers a storefront that lets you get to business. As someone who set up multiple e-commerce sites, I can tell you that Store Builder has been a much easier experience than anything else I've tried. Here's how it works. Answer a few questions, build your homepage, add your content, and you're ready to sell. No more hunting for the right plugins or perfect theme. You also don't need to be a developer to get going. Kickstart your online store with your optimized homepage that's ready for content and customization. Store Builder was created and is supported by the e-commerce experts at Nexus. So with the power of Nexus managed WooCommerce behind your online store, you can count on all the speed, security, and support you need anytime, every day. As someone who's had his membership site on Nexus for a long time, I can tell you I have been incredibly happy to know that Nexus is supporting my business. Whether you're a small business owner looking to get up and running fast or a creator who's looking for a place to earn some extra cash, Store Builder is for you. Head on over to howibuilt.it slash storebuilder for a special offer for How I Built It listeners only. That's howibuilt.it slash storebuilder, all one word. Launch your e-commerce site today. Thanks so much to Storebuilder and Nexus for sponsoring the show. I kind of broke like one of Andrew Warner's rules of like prompting you with a hard question before ask actually asking <laughs> it. Um, but how does Pigeon Loans make money? Um, is it like... Uh, is it, do I have to, if I want to be a lender or a borrower, do I have to pay like a subscription fee or something like that? There you go. So it's a subscription fee. So we don't do any origination fees like you do in regular industry. We don't take a percentage of your loan. We don't force interest rates, none of that. Basically, the minute you agree to a loan on our platform, and let's say it's for 10 months, we ask that the borrower of that loan pay a small subscription fee. Today is $4.29. Probably by the time this episode comes out, it'll be Mm $5.29. But every single one of those months, you pay us to manage your account so that you can have the ability to make payments, have the ability to download contracts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's only on the borrower side. The lender, we say it's free. We basically want to incentivize you to help out your community, help out your friends. Basically, if you have to choose between, oh, I'm not going to help someone out because it's going to be complicated, and, oh, I'm not going to help someone out because this costs something. We want to make sure we take the cost away. So now it's just like, well, I've got no other choice. I might as well just use it. It's going to be better than not using it, right? So right. that's what we've done for lenders and then for borrowers. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense, right? Because, again, if you're going through a bank, right, the bank is going to take some cut of that loan. Or, uh, you know, if you have like a a managed mutual fund, right, the fees are a lot higher than yeah. that, and some are transactional, and some are percentages, and and so, um, yeah, it sounds like a no brainer, right? For the cup of for like one cup of Starbucks coffee a month, 
Yeah. You can get the money that you need. Um, gosh, yeah. I love that. I could talk about this all day. We haven't talked about content yet, really. We talked <laughs> about the podcast. Um, but the podcast, so first of all, what made you want to start the podcast? So the impetus came from hearing everyone's stories. So as I was building Pigeon Loans, releasing it to friends and family, talking to investors, doing whatever we need to do, everyone to start off being like, wow, man, this is a great idea. And then they segue into their like personal story, being like, Susie May, like, I remember I gave her $700 and she just ran off with it. It was my last $700. I wish I had this to like get it back. And you're like, yeah, man, like, that's why we're here. This is why we've created the platform. So in hearing all those stories, we're like, all right, everyone has a story, but no one is talking about it. Like, I've never heard these stories, even from my own mother. Like, she started telling me stories, being like, yo, what? Like, we've lived together for 24 years. Like, <laughs> how did you not tell me these stories prior? So I said, hey, there's got to be a way to bring these stories to the forefront. One, they're entertaining. I often was just laughing because they're just insane stories. Yeah. But two, it teaches people that it's okay, like we kind of said at the beginning, to move your financial well-being within your relationships because everyone is doing it. No one is waking up at the age of 18, working in Wall Street, Goldman Sachs, bringing in 200K without help from someone. They had to have gotten some help from someone. And those are things that we brushed under the rug, posted on our Instagram stories, posted on whatever social media platform and said, look, I did it all by myself. And we all know that's just not true. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, and so this is, you're, you're telling the stories that are relatable to people who are hearing them. This is one piece of kind of an overall content strategy. Um, is it, why don't you tell us a little bit about the, the strategy overall, is it more telling stories or is it, is it, you know, five reasons why you should lend or five reasons why, you know, yeah. what kind of content are you creating? It's a mix of both. So often when we were conceptualizing the podcast, I was getting pushback being like, we have to promote Pigeon Loans more. We have to promote Pigeon Loans more. And I'm like, no, it, this is truly an avenue to break the stigma because in order for Pigeon Loans to be successful, five, seven, ten years from now, we have to convince the United States and pretty much the whole world that it's okay to do these types of transactions and to do them frequently, to like ask your community for money or lend within your community. So being able to come from the perspective of not necessarily a company trying to convince you to use their platform, but instead say, here people that are already doing this without our platform's influence and now the platform is giving the audience that is necessary to listen about these stories that's a different dynamic and it does a lot for us in terms of intent and then brand exposure we wanted to be able to have anyone who's searching ideas or having struggles or trying to understand the whole process of a loan with a friend or family member if they're going on google and they're going on yahoo and they're trying to find out more information about that process, Pigeon Loans needs to pop up as like the number one, number two resource. So we're Mm -hmm. obviously doing work on like SEO and technical stuff and writing articles to get to that point from a keyword ranking aspect. 
But once you've read through those articles and you aren't necessarily comfortable yet with the concept, you need some type of trust or antidote that'll push you over the edge. That is like, oh, wow, this guy used pigeon loans or this person did a loan, but now it's decided they want to use pigeon loans in the future. Those are the types of stories that we can bring to the chirp kind of analogously. So it's a two-part system in which we're able to really bring in content as a whole and add trust to it as well. Wow, that that's such a great strategy. I mean, and it sounds like you're, it, this is not just content to promote like a, a business, it's content to promote a, a movement. Um, yep. And uh, I don't, you know, I don't want to, I try not to sound like I'm gushing or anything, but this, I, <laughs> you're like really blowing my mind, right? Because I even, you know, every year I donate to St. Jude's Children's Hospital and, and a few other things. And I generally keep my donations anonymous because it feels like flaunting it. But yep. now I'm thinking, why should I, why should I be ashamed that I'm helping like kids with cancer? Like there's nothing yeah. shameful about that. Um, Mm -hmm. and if I have the means to do it, you know, it's better than me buying like another iPhone or whatever. Right. I'm just using that money for, for good. Um, yeah, you're more likely to post that you bought the iPhone 13 or 14 than you are to be like, Hey, I just gave a starving kid $10 because they just wanted to ask for it. Like that's so wild to me. So yeah, um, God, that's a great sound. I'm going to write down the timestamp here and that's going to be the audiogram and it's going to be great. Um, so <laughs> I, I see on uh, your LinkedIn profile that um, as uh, along with computer science, you studied philosophy. Um, yeah. I uh, I was excited to to flex some of my uh, my Jesuit education uh, on <laughs> your show, right? I brought up, uh, like I never bring up a, a lot of it, but I, I think on on the chirp I brought up uh, Saint Ignatius and uh, Cura mm-hmm. Personalis, and I brought up Socrates. Um, yep. So Cura Personalis is something I, I think about a, a lot here, um, and I'm just curious did did you did you studying philosophy? Um, ha, what kind of part did that play in in creating pigeon loans, if any? So I didn't study it. Purposely, it's funny, right? It's going through my time at Bowdoin, and Bowdoin is a small liberal arts school in Maine. For people who don't know that, and I knew I wanted to study computer science. I've always been good at computers from a kid. Unfortunately, I went to pretty bad high schools and have a lot of money, so it wasn't until college that I actually got to study computer science. So when I was there, I was like, "Oh, this is awesome! I'm doing well." But liberal arts schools force you slash challenge you to do other courses so you can kind of broaden your horizon. And my freshman year, I took a philosophy class um, by the the professor, a woman named Christy Olson. It's like one of my favorite professors ever. And in taking that class, I was just like, whoa, like there's so many people thinking on such deeper levels than what I see in my day to day. Like I just really like this whole school of thought. I didn't even know you could study this. So the next four years, I didn't really minor or major in it. I just took so many philosophy courses that if I had declared it, I actually would have gotten like a minor or major. <laughs> and I just nice. enjoyed, yeah, I just enjoyed learning about these strange concepts like utilitarianism and transcendentalism and all these ideas as to how the world works. 
And you can kind of see it bleeding a little bit through Pigeon Loans, where it's like, we've created this platform that has a lot of awesome use cases in the tech world, has some pretty cool economics as well. But the entire ethos is utilitarian. It's to help as many people as possible. Because right now, there's this big gap, especially in American society, where there's a lot of people with a lot of money and a lot of people with no money. But the gap in between those two is widening every single day. Yeah. So Pigeon Loans, we can help with that gap. We can basically be that bridge and say, look, someone has money. Someone doesn't have money. We'll create the mechanism to connect those two. We'll allow you to kind of come onto our platform, do the things you need to do so you're comfortable with it. So at the end of the day, everyone is a more equitable society. So you can see it bleed through, but you really have to think through the layers to get to that point. Yeah, I I I I love what you said there. And I think it's it's so funny that you mentioned, you know, the University of Scranton is my alma mater, they're a liberal arts school as well. So I had to take you know, minimum of two religion uh, classes and three <laughs> yeah. philosophy classes. Um, and the teacher, the professor can really make or break that, right? Um, I shamefully now, and now that I'm 36 and I look back and I realize that I could have expanded my, my school of thinking even more <laughs> at a younger age, I took yeah. the easy philosophy teacher um, and now I'm like going back and I'm actually reading stuff that I probably should have read in college about, you know, the Stoics and Marcus Aurelius. And, um, yeah. someone that I'm thinking of now is, uh, Heidegger, right? I, I had a lot of philosophy majors. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I got to hear a lot of it, but Heidegger was kind of this guy who, um, if I recall correctly, uh, was not a fan of technology <laughs> and, um, okay. and talked about, uh, you know, kind of um, problems. Gosh, if a philosophy major is listening to this or somebody who's familiar with Heidegger, uh, they're like, Casabona is butchering this. But um, I believe it was Heidegger who who was strongly concerned with with technology. But you're kind of showing that um, technology, you know, we have Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk going to space. Well, Michael Strahan, most recently as we record this, uh, going to Mm. space. But... um, uh, you know, altruism is is also a big part of uh, of the online space, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, a lot of technology has good and bad. I think it started off as being a tool that people use to make their lives better, but now the tool is becoming our lives. And I think yeah. we need to take a step back and really just reel it in, figure out what aspects of technology we want to keep, so we can continue to improve the society. And then the stuff that we don't necessarily need, we can actually kind of just put to the side a little bit and, and continue to move forward. Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly with that. You know, I'm again, I we we have I feel like we have similar um uh let's say passions, I guess. I knew from yeah. a young age that I wanted to uh get into computers and computer science. I went to a Catholic school, so we didn't have a strong computer science. We didn't have any computer science program. Um, <laughs> but I was I was also uh, fortunate enough that my dad saw that and helped nurture it. My parents helped nurture that. And so mm-hmm. I had a little bit of a background going into college. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I, but now that I have kids, 
Um, mm-hmm. My daughter has m- said multiple times that she doesn't want to go outside. She just wants to watch the iPad. And like, that hurts me. Um, <laughs> it hurts me a little bit. So, and I'm sure it's just the age or she's like really tired after school. She, cause she just started school. And, yeah. Um, but it's, that's something that weighs heavily on my mind. And I know like I always had mm-hmm. a Game Boy on me and I'm, I turned yeah. out fine, but um, it is something that I really think about. Yeah, definitely. It's wild. So, we could talk yeah. about tech all day, but yeah, yeah for real. That's, that's <laughs> true. But we have been talking for almost 40 minutes now and I want to be mindful um, of your time. And so, uh, I, so again, I just want to reinforce this. I think the, the impetus for the podcast and your general content strategy is a really good one. You're, you're, you're using it to change minds. You're looking at the long game. Um, is this is Pigeon Loans your your full time gig now? If I'm if I have your information correct, you you started doing this full time in late 2021. Yeah, so I was a special case. I worked at <laughs> Intuit as a software engineer prior. Had the idea while I was at Intuit, and the pandemic was happening. So I was like, huh, I still like Intuit. I'm learning a lot of things yeah. here. It's awesome culture. It's a good company. So if you ever do go to Intuit, uh, definitely consider that. Nice. But um, I just had this conviction about pigeon loans that I was like, you know what? I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to do my regular life. I'm just going to dedicate my time to pigeon loans and Intuit. And I did that for a year and a half. And I, I do not recommend it to like anyone. <laughs> <laughs> you forget to eat so often, it's not healthy. But um, after yeah, that's, finally that's, the, getting, that's a young man's game right there. I, I did the same yeah. thing when I was 24. And now that I have kids, I'm like, I just want to work for eight hours and then go to sleep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So mm. do not do that. But when I finally got to the point where it was a good stopping place financially with Intuit and career wise, and I feel like I had learned enough stuff to continue on my own. That's when I switched over to Pigeon Loan just full time. And I wish I could say I gained more time back, but no, I think Pigeon Loans has <laughs> encompassed even more of my life from beforehand. But it's good because it means the company is growing. Like I mentioned before, we're at 10,000 users. We've created, I think, 1,500 loans as of today. Wow. Um, and then in November 2020, we did 150K in loan volume alone. So we're growing every single month. We've only been around for 13 months. And come next year slash 2022, it's going to be huge. I I genuinely think you'll start hearing about us on the news, New York Times, CNBC, all that good stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And and again, you have the company has a great ethos and a great mission. Um, And, you know, I I think of of all of these, this isn't I mean, this is not crowdfunding, but of all the you know the crowdfunding and internet micro loans and things like that, I really think that this is um, this feels like the best model for me. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm not just saying that. I, it's I I have uh, I had reservations about using Kickstarter and GoFundMe, and I I feel like this this adds accountability to both of those things, and that's really great. Yeah, definitely. All right. So I usually like to end the show by asking if you have any trade secrets for us. Uh, as <laughs> as a young guy who's starting a a, a good company, um, I, what I would like to ask you instead of that is, um, how, what do you do to prevent burnout? Oh, <laughs> so 
So I like to run really fast for like endless amounts of time and then I'll shut off. I literally will not talk to you. I won't party. I won't like do anything. I won't. I will literally just sit in my house for 48 hours and just watch TV, eat ice cream and like chill out. Right. So that's how I kind of operate. But in terms of like actually preventing burnout, I genuinely think it's good to one, have people in your life that remind you that you're working too hard. And then two, figure out the things that actually recover you. For me, it's like 7-Eleven Slurpees, and this is not nice. a sponsorship of 7-Eleven, but I like 7-Eleven Slurpees. <laughs> if, you, if, they want, if you're listening and you want to, reach out. <laughs> yeah, 7-Eleven Pigeon Loans. <laughs> but 7-Eleven um, Slurpees is something that I just, if I really am in it, I just got to take a break and go do that. Going to the movies, um, it's harder with the pandemic now. But activities like that where it's just like, hey, let's just take a break for an hour, two hours, reorient, come back to it. That's a good way for me to recharge. And for everyone, it's different. You may need to take a week-long vacation. You may need to just disappear. I don't know what you need to do. But being able to do that when the body slash mind is telling you to do that, I think that is super important. And then it's okay to come right back into it. Yeah, I think that's great. I'm uh, I'm jealous that you are good at running really fast for a long time because I'm not good at running for any amount of time. Um, <laughs> but shutting off is is really important. Uh, having people in your life that telling you you work too much, I think that that is. My wife doesn't even need to say it anymore. She <laughs> she just like. I don't know if she realizes she does it, but her face changes and I'm like, I, I can stop working now. Um, <laughs> and, and finding something that re-energizes you. For me, it's the drums. I try to play the drums for about 30 mm. to 40 minutes every day uh, and it helps you reset. Mm. And I really, um, you'll, you'll be able to relate to this as a coder. Uh, I, I realized the value of that when I spent like, like six hours probably like trying to figure out this thing this in school. Yes. Um, and I, I couldn't do it. And then I had to go to an event and it was like a live music event that I was helping organize. And I was just sitting watching the guy play guitar and the solution came. I literally wrote the solution on the back of a napkin, I guess. napkin. Um, and as soon as I left, I, it worked and I couldn't, so like, (laughs) like shutting off is the best thing that you can do to solve problems sometimes. Yeah, some of my best features from Pigeon Lounge have just been like, I give up. And then I went to go do something else. And I was like, in the club being like, oh, shoot, this is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's amazing. Uh, Brian, this has been such uh, a delightful conversation. Uh, we got to talk about a lot of things that I wasn't expecting us to talk about, but it was really fun. Uh, if people want to learn more about you, where can they go? Yeah, so I'm Brian Bristol. Obviously, I want you to learn about Pigeon Loans. So if you go to our website, it's www.pigeonloans.io. That's our pretty much open door to anything Pigeon Loans related. You'll find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Pigeon Loans. Um, For me personally, send Pigeon Loans an email, or you can email me at B as in boy, Bristol, at pigeonloans.io, and I will see it. I see everything that comes through that funnel. But yeah, I'm excited. Awesome. I will link to all of that and everything we talked about, including my episode of The Chirp, 
uh, as well as Heidegger. I'll, I'll double check that that's the right philosopher. Uh, in the show notes over at howibuilt.it slash 259. Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's awesome. And for everybody listening out there, thanks so much. I, I appreciate you and your time. And until next time, get out there and build something. 